Dr. Maria Nemeth. I'm a PhD psychologist, master certified coach, and the founder and director of the Academy for Coaching Excellence. This podcast is about you and your relationship with money. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Maria and welcoming you to the Energy of Money podcast in which today I'm going to do something that diverges a little bit from your relationship with money, but might actually be associated with it in some way. It's all about how to train your brain, the anxious brain that we have, to experience joy, to even remember what joy is all about. Let me put it to you this way. Science has shown that our brain has not changed much in over 100,000 years. And 100,000 years ago, one of the primary functions of our brain, the very same brain that we have today, okay, hasn't changed much. 7,000 years ago, we got blue eyes, but that's about all. So it shows that 100,000 years ago, one of the things that your brain, my brain wanted to do was to keep us alive. We didn't have fangs. We didn't have fur. We couldn't run very fast. We were pretty weak as animals, but we had a brain that could figure out where to find danger. So, for example, pretending that you and I right now are, let's say, 50,000 years ago, and we're in a cave together, okay? Put your mind there right now, and we're hungry. We want to go out to get something to eat to keep alive. Now, we are beginning to walk to the edge of the cave. You with me? And just before you and I leave the cave to go out in the sunshine to get our food, what's the first thing your brain is going to look for? Yes, I'll bet you you said danger or predators because it turns out there are two kinds of mistakes that we can make in life back then. One was in thinking that there is a tiger outside of the cave, but there isn't. <laughs> and thinking there is no tiger. There's no danger out there. And of course there is, and we get eaten. The people who made that Second error, didn't live to have offspring. Mother Nature, it is said, would rather have us make the first error a million times because that second error could kill us. So that first error is all about anticipating danger or something going wrong, even when there isn't danger. But you see, our brain still believes we're living back a hundred thousand years ago. In essence, you and I have inherited from our ancestors the anxious brain. I'll say it again. You and I have inherited from our ancestors the anxious brain. Scientists are studying it now. They're calling it the negativity bias. That's the tendency of all brains, human brains, to look for what isn't working 
before you look for what is working. It's built into our brain. There's nothing you can do about it in terms of that natural tendency. It's always there. However, you can redirect your sweet, anxious brain that's been with us for at least 100,000 years. So I want you to consider something right now. Consider the possibility, please, that you are not your brain. You have a brain. You have two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and a brain. Your brain is an organ. You are that which has the capacity to shape your brain in the way you want it to be shaped. I'll say that again. You, you are that which has the capacity to shape your brain in any way you want it to be shaped. Now the question is, how do we shape our brain? How do we make a difference with this poor, <laughs> this poor organ that is only looking out for us, especially when it's anxious? Seriously, the brain has been trying to protect us. Your brain has been trying to protect you from saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths because that's what it was engineered for. If you see this, and this is why I'm repeating it so many times, because if you see this, there may be a possibility for you to have some compassion for this poor brain. Now, it's not every part of your brain. It's located primarily in the amygdala with some attachments to the limbic system. The amygdala is about fight, flight, or freeze, and the limbic system has to do with our emotions. So there's that aspect, there's that part of the brain that is naturally nervous. There you go. What do you do? Well, first, are you willing to take care of your brain? Seriously, are you willing to take care of your brain? One way to do it is this. And when you do it in this way that I'm suggesting, you will have the capacity to shift what your brain is focusing on. I remember many years ago, there was a man and his son. They were waiting in the waiting room of a restaurant. The son was about, oh, two and a half, three years old. And he was holding the son. And his son was saying, I'm hungry. I want some food. I want to eat. And then he saw some candy on the maitre d's stand. And he wanted that candy. And nothing his dad could do could dissuade him. They were waiting to be seated. They were hungry. And that poor sweet kid wanted candy. There was an aquarium at the opposite end of that waiting room. And I saw the father looking over at that aquarium and then taking his son and walking his son over to the aquarium. His son's 
I want candy, I want candy, except all of a sudden he saw the aquarium, saw these fish, and he was pointing to his, look at this fish, oh, there's this fish, and you know, it's like that whole thing about needing candy and being anxious and screaming and crying, it was absolutely taken away in that moment. Well, your brain and my brain is not much different that part of the brain, okay, is not that much different than a young child's, the negativity bias. Remember? So what do you do? By now, hopefully, you're seeing the possibility of having just a little bit of, oh, compassion for this poor brain. That's always trying to keep you from experiencing danger. <laughs> it's just amazing. I have a four-step process that I want to give you, okay? And it deals not just with calming your sweet brain, but then pointing it in a different direction, okay? First, number one, be willing to see when your brain is overheated with anxiety, Picture it as that young child wanting candy, wanting something, you know, to take away this anxiety. The first thing to do is just to observe your brain overheated. I know so many people have said, Dr. Maria, what are you talking about? I said, listen, just try this out. You can tell when your brain is overheated, can't you? Come on. Of course you can. It's maybe it's hot and you're all tense and worried and nervous. And yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's coming from the brain. So first you observe that your brain is anxious. Second step, give your brain some compassion. Recognize that your brain has only been trying to help you you know, just like it has tried to help our ancestors. I mean, that's one of the reasons you and I are alive. Once again, we have inherited the anxious brain from our ancestors. So in having some compassion, how would you like to demonstrate it? Now, I've taught people to just kind of, you know, not really tap the brain so much as just kind of, you know, just kind of comfort your brain. You know, all is well. It's okay. You would be surprised how your brain responds. I've worked with leaders of huge companies <laughs> who say to me, Dr. Maria, are you telling me to, to put my hand right here and just kind of comfort my brain a little bit here? I say, yeah, try it out. And sure enough, they try it out and it works the brain starts to calm down a little bit. That's known as having some compassion for your brain. Okay. And yes, sometimes it, it means just kind of touching your brain a little bit, just like you would a child. And the brain just starts calming down. Try it. You'll be surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't tap it a lot, you know? It's kind of calm. Just like you would a little 
child that's all cranky. It's okay. Make sure there's some compassion because this brain has only been trying to protect you. Then, and this is the most important part, then shift the focus of your brain's attention to something that you experience as filled with joy. Now, I want to have a conversation with you about joy. Joy is not necessarily happiness. You know, there's a, there's a woman I've been reading, I've been following her. There's a Psychology Today post. It was in, let's see, it was posted by Psychology Today, July 28th, 2020. What is joy and what does it say about us? And the interview is with Dr. Pamela King on the meaning and depth of joy. Now, very interesting. This is a woman who has been studying what joy is all about. And it turns out that joy is a little more complicated than happiness. She finds that the joy is attached to doing something or experiencing something that relates to our closely held values. And there are three kinds of values that she talks about. The first one, she suggests that joy is most fully understood as a virtue. And the virtue is, she says, we all experience joy, both the overwhelming and animating experiences of joy, which sustains us. Generally, we want more of it. We have all yelped, shouted, or smiled in delight upon hearing good news about our health or the health of a loved one, finding a lost precious object, or accomplishing something meaningful. Well, it's having to do with, she says, growing in authenticity and living more into one's strengths, growing in depth of relationships and contributing to others. And finally, living more aligned with one's values. So let me talk about this briefly. Joy is something which often when you recall it, you have some of the same experience. It could be expansive. It could be a sense of gladness that you are here doing exactly what you're meant to be doing at the right time, for example. And it's something, as I said, that when you experience it over and over again, it doesn't fade so much. I was present to the birth of my niece, Rachel. And I remember holding her just as she was born in my arms. And I've got the hospital gowns on. I'm holding her and I'm looking down at her. And even as I'm talking to you about it right now, I have this experience of the rightness of being there 
at that moment of being her auntie. You know, as a matter of fact, <laughs> to tell you the truth, this is a little, this is a little vulnerable, but I have actually saved that hospital gown from her birth. And that's been like 35 years ago. I still have it. I don't want to throw it away. Because whenever I look at it, I remember the moment I held her in my arms. So certainly you can remember something like that in your own life. Yes, a moment in which you were present and it meant so much to you. You know, it's for me, it meant contributing to this person, being there for this person, being their auntie, no matter what. So when you shift the focus of your brain's attention prior to this whole exercise, I want you to take a card and write down a memory of something that you experienced. It could be when you were a child, it could be when you were older, but it requires you to kind of look and think of these moments. We all have them, folks. It's just that we get so busy with our lives, it becomes overshadowed, you know? Because these moments are more than happiness. These moments are almost what I would call luminous moments. You know, I'm studying luminosity and what it's all about. And I've discovered that luminosity, these luminous moments, are far more enduring than even moments of happiness. So you comfort your brain with some compassion. You shift the focus of your attention and have your brain look at this one experience in which you experienced joy. Yes, it was from the past, but you see, the more you can remember joyous moments in the past and you can remind your brain, the more your brain will seek out these moments in the present. It works. Please try it out. I hope you do. Because to tell you the truth, this stuff really, really works. So this is Dr. Maria saying, direct your brain for joy. Okay? See how it may even affect your relationship with money. Until next time, Take care. Bye for now.